It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. President Obama's just delivered his State of the Union speech to Congress. As usual, it was full of uplifting stories and calls for action punctuated by standing ovations. But many believe that the sad reality is that this is a presidency that is running out of steam. And some of what Mr Obama had to say about the State of the Union was actually quite bleak. Today, after four years of economic growth, corporate profits and stock prices have rarely been higher. And those at the top have never done better. But average wages have barely budged. Inequality has deepened. Upward mobility has stalled. The cold hard fact is that even in the midst of recovery, too many Americans are working more than ever just to get by, let alone to get ahead. And too many still aren't working at all. So, to assess the State of the Union speech and the state of the Obama presidency in general, I'm joined from Washington by Richard McGregor, our bureau chief in the American capital, and by Edward Luce, our Washington-based columnist. Richard, first, you've heard a few of these speeches now. Was there anything particular that stood out about this one? Well, I guess one of the oddly paradoxically interesting things about it was that even though he really had an agenda laid out there, ambitious or unambitious, depending on what you think, which really bypassed Congress and particularly the Republicans in Congress, the tone of the speech wasn't one which it has been in the past or many of his speeches about poking the Republicans in the eye. The tone was very positive, even as he kind of said that there's nothing much we can do together. So that was kind of odd, I guess. And I guess the other thing is the administration has been talking a lot about equality, and in some respects inequality was the central theme of the speech, but they kind of managed to take the word inequality out of it largely and replace that with the word opportunity. And I think that's a kind of poll-driven change that you know harping on about inequality doesn't go down too well in aspirational America. So they're really talking much more about emphasizing much more opportunity instead. Ed, you wrote that this was an upbeat and well-crafted declaration of impotence. I mean, it's quite a paradoxical phrase. How can he be simultaneously upbeat and basically saying that he couldn't do anything? Well, I felt that there was an odd sort of sense of relaxation exuding from, from Obama, that he sort of accepted his fate. This is, after all, the fourth consecutive State of the Union he's given where there's very little chance a Republican-controlled House is going to pass anything on his agenda. And I felt Obama was almost in a Zen, reached a Zen position where he understood and has accepted that fate and was trying to project a Reagan-esque optimism about what he could do himself as president and what was happening more broadly outside of Washington to America at large. It was a speech framed around inequality, but he did make very strong points about 2014 being the year of resurgent American growth, manufacturing coming back to America's shores, the energy revolution, and so forth. You know, I I would stick by that phrase. I think it was a very upbeat, 
well-crafted declaration of impotence in the face of a hostile Congress. That's not going to change. And Obama seems to have happily and finally accepted that's not going to change. So what he's saying essentially is, well, the state of the union isn't too bad because the economy is coming back. There are these positive things happening in energy. And maybe that makes it easier for him to accept the fact that the state of Washington politics is gridlock. Yes. I mean, again, there's this equality of opportunity and inequality sort of framing of the whole thing is, I think, key, because although America is coming back this year with growth, you know, probably of around 3%, most Americans aren't feeling it. And his message was really designed for that audience, you know, the people who are suffering from personal recessions, even while the overall economy is growing, and essentially letting them know that he's trying to do his best for them, raising the federal minimum wage. It was one thing he asked Congress to do. Spending on infrastructure was another early childhood education was a third. All these things are on Obama's agenda, but a Republican-controlled house is refusing to comply. So, Richard, one of the things he kind of talked about was, well, maybe there are things that he can do to address this agenda and other demands without the need for congressional approval, without having to go through the House. How much can he actually do, though? He can do some things. You know, the minimum wage is, I think, the most important one. He said he would have an executive order that people employed under new federal contracts would would get a higher minimum wage, about 40% higher from $7.25 to $10.10 an hour. Now, that won't affect a lot of people immediately, but over the longer term, I guess the White House argument is that that would provide a demonstration effect, and hopefully that would then put pressure on Congress for a similar wage hike for all federal workers. I don't know whether that's the case or not, but I think it's in terms of his agenda of fairness, of helping the middle class, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work and all that kind of stuff, then I think you know it, it has an important symbolic impact. A lot of the other measures, frankly, have been hinted at or even discussed before putting extra computers into classrooms. Every government in the world seems to be trying to do that. So I don't think a lot of them have a really far-reaching impact. That's the ones that were announced last night. He also gave quite a robust defence of his healthcare initiative, which looked in really serious trouble a few months ago. He seems to feel that he's turned the corner on that. Well, I think so. We'll see about that. I mean, certainly the so-called Obamacare death spiral has gone now. The whole issue is off the front page. It's not at the fever pitch it was a little while ago. But this is a massive reform to an already complicated system, and there's going to be blips all along the way about what kind of doctors people can see, about people who have to change their health plans, about what happens later this year when insurance premiums rise, possibly quite dramatically, because the central feature of the Obamacare reform, getting young people to insure themselves, hasn't happened, and therefore the risk pool is much more perilous for insurance companies. So I think the issue has quietened down. I guess the thing that he did last night is, you know, he argued his case. Now, Republicans are also going to have to argue their case. They're no longer in a position to repeal this law, and I don't think the leadership is going to talk about repealing it anymore. So they'll have to argue an alternative. So that kind of levels the playing field a little bit. But my sense is that, you know, the damage may have been done on this issue and they may be able to stop the bleeding but I don't think it turns into a massive net positive. Ed, 
on the broader issue of, of inequality, I mean, you've written a whole book around these themes of, of the falling living standards of Americans. I mean, it is quite striking that a president who was simultaneously trying to sound optimistic also gave a, a rather bleak view of what was happening to the living standards of the average American. And from what you have written and, and said, it seems unlikely that for all his concern about this issue, he's, he's really going to be able to make much of an impact on it. No, I mean, I don't think any of the executive orders are really going to do anything more than nibble at the margins at best. The larger concern here is even though America is growing, the State of the Union on Tuesday night coincided with Ben Bernanke's final open market committee meeting as head of the Federal Reserve. Uh, And there they're going to continue to most probably taper off the quantitative easing. The sort of era of historically easy money is beginning to draw to a close. But the real concern is if de facto unemployment remains high, if middle class earnings remain stagnant or falling, the U.S. economy is going to hit the speed bumps at a point sometime in the next year, 18 months, before the middle class has started to recover, because labor force participation levels have fallen to European levels, and therefore the workforce is smaller than it was. And so that's a real concern, that the misalignment between the aggregate growth of the American economy and the actual experience of most Americans living and working in it is now so great that we're going to have to put the brakes on this recovery. The Fed is going to have to start tightening interest rates before most Americans have felt the recovery. And so I think there is a real concern here that actually there is a link between the poor condition of most American consumers and the ability of the American economy to grow. And whatever Bernanke and then after him, Janet Yellen, says and does and makes of this conundrum is far more relevant to Americans than what Obama tries and fails to get through Congress. And Richard, looking at the politics of this, I mean, both of you have argued that President Obama is stymied, obviously, by the fact that the House of Representatives is currently Republican. Yet we've got midterm elections coming up later this year. How do you think those are going to play out? And will they change the situation? And has President Obama crafted a strategy that might actually help the Democrats in November? I think it's it's too early to say, and I think this speech is a very small part of that. I mean, the big elections in the midterm are really for the Senate. I don't think the House is going to change hands. A lot of the Senate elections come down to if not local factors in the states in play, then certainly the candidates. And we have to see who Republicans choose as candidates. And I think most people would say before and after last night's speech that the Senate race is a a genuine toss-up. We don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, certainly in the case of places like Arkansas, maybe uh, to a lesser extent North Carolina, that the Obamacare has played very, very badly for the Democratic incumbents there. And I don't know whether that's going to be turned around dramatically. But I think without being wimpy about it, I think it's really hard to draw a straight line from the speech to the midterms. I think the issue is, do we get that genuine recovery this year? That's something that could help Democratic candidates. If we don't, the economy will just be another dead weight on them. Okay, and finally, Ed, obviously this speech was also about America's relationship with the rest of the world, and President Obama did talk quite a lot about that, specifically about Iran. What lessons can we draw on foreign policy? Well, I was struck by two things in terms of the foreign section of the State of the Union. And the first was that it was larger than normal. He spent more time talking about the Middle East than he normally does in other parts of the world. 
And the second was the passion and conviction with which he dealt with the Iran issue. As you know, Congress, a majority possibly of both parties, very unusually in today's circumstances, are looking at legislation to impose new sanctions on Iran in the midst of these potentially historic talks that the Americans are holding with the Iranians and others. And Obama, I think, was very articulate and showed real, real passion in saying you have to give diplomacy a chance and vowing he would veto any fresh sanctions that would, of course, make these talks far more difficult, if not impossible. And I think that was the most striking foreign policy deliverable. To go against what I've just said, he only devoted one line to the civil war in Syria. And I did find that striking, given how recently it was a defining issue for his administration. But the big takeaway was Iran and his commitment to talks and giving diplomacy a chance. Okay, Edward Luce in Washington and Richard McGregor, also in Washington, thank you both very much indeed. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.